Hey guys, how's it going? Mike here. Okay, so before we go down with the episode, let me explain what this episode's all about. Uh, this is the first interview that I've ever done, and I had a lot of fun doing it. It's with a comedian in Toronto. Her name is Pretty Toral. Um, she was a great interview, great talker. Uh, couldn't say uh, a mean thing about her if I tried. Um, she's really, really funny. She hosts her own show on the 17th of every month uh, at the Bad Dog Theater. Uh, the show's called Boss. You can follow that on Facebook um, at Boss Comedy. Um, also, you should follow her on Twitter uh, at Only One Pretty. O N L Y O N E P R E E T I. Um, yeah, and check her out. She's really funny. Um, she's a great interview. Like I said, uh, we touch on a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, what it's like coming up in Toronto as a comedian. Um, what it's like coming up in Toronto as a minority comedian, um, who her influences are, a whole bunch of stuff, and it's a lot of fun. I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, as for Zach and Brennan, uh, Zach's been out of commission for a little bit, um, uh, but he's back now, and we're really glad to have him back. Um, Scott will be back too. Brennan, he's Brennan. He'll show up when he wants, basically, and we love him for it. Uh, if you guys like the show, please let me know on Facebook, follow me on Twitter at Mike Henry 20, M I K E H E N R Y two zero. Um, yeah, let us know, let, let me know what you guys think. Um, and if you feel so inclined to do so, please leave us a review on iTunes. Um, really appreciate it. And that's how we sort of build the show. Uh, if you like it, please tell your friends as well. Um, that's the only way to get the show, uh, any bigger then it already, I don't know, it's not that big now, so, I don't know, tell your friends so it gets bigger, okay? Anyway, thanks a lot, okay? And now on with the show. Okay. Okay. So. So. Um, yeah. I didn't make any notes for this. It's all good. It's, everything is... Very fucking minimal. No shame in my game, cause I always be the same. Stars upon stars upon stars is what I have. You wanna just to fight for, but you still don't know the half. I spot new balance seekers to avoid an arrow path. Messing Okay, so hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Book Podcast. I'm Mike Henry. Um, today we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, I'm talking with one of Toronto's newest accidental comedians. Her name is Preeti. And she's here today, and we're interviewing her. I'm very Yay. excited about this. <laughs> so, I can't find any of the notes that I texted you. Either way. Okay. Um, so, I figured that maybe we would start by doing um, something to make the title of the podcast actually worth the title that it has. Sure. So, do you listen to podcasts? I do. Okay. Do you have a recommendation for anybody? About any topic that you want. Anything. It doesn't matter. A recommendation for a podcast to listen to or yes. a topic to talk about? No, a podcast to listen to. Podcast, podcast to listen to. Um, I've been, uh, I got to do the Yes Queen podcast. Which was that? Recently. Uh, yes Queen is a um, monthly comedy show that hosts at Bad Dog Theater. Okay. And it's run by Neelu Handa. Right on. And um, it is the first Sunday of every month and it focuses on um, comedians, uh, female comedians okay. of ethnic 
diversity. Right on. So it's an all-ethnic female cast every month, and it's a rotating cast of performers. And uh, Nilu hosts a podcast to complement the show. Right on. And it's a great podcast to hear another perspective about performing in comedy, especially when it has to deal with race and gender. Yeah, and like how... Okay, well, I mean, how has that... How has that been for you doing comedy in Toronto, like being a woman of not white? Of not white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> being a woman of not white. Um, it's so funny. It's I haven't really experienced uh, racism. I've experienced sexism at open mics, but I haven't experienced uh, racism regarding my skin color, my ethnicity, or my heritage. Um, I think the thing that really... Uh, made me kind of see that I was different was when I was at Second City. Really? When I was at Second City, it was pronounced that I was a minority and that it was pronounced that I was ethnic. But before when I was doing improv and sketch at Second City, it wasn't... I guess I should explain a little bit. I was part of the Bob Curry Fellowship, which was a four-week fellowship devoted to sketch, improv, and writing. Okay. And then we had a main stage show at Second City in April after our four months was over. And it was a beautiful show, and it was amazing. But that whole cast, we got together under the guise of diversity. So it was an all-ethnic cast and visible minority cast. And within that group, it was very highlighted about our ethnicities and our heritage and our skin colors. Really? So, I mean, not in a bad way. We were given a platform to speak, but I didn't really relate to their version of diversity. So within that group, my, I guess you could say my ethnicness, and I'm doing air quotes, was highlighted. But before when I was doing comedy, and even now in my stand-up, I don't, identify first by my skin color or my no, race. No, and nor should you. I mean, it should true, be, it true. should just be, this is what I find funny. Yeah. See if you find it funny too. Yeah. Give me feedback by laughing at it. The right. fact that I'm a woman and the fact that I'm not white. Yeah. Right? Like that shouldn't make any difference whatsoever. No, it shouldn't. And I never identified by it and no one, and I've been grateful that no one's really pointed that out to me. Really? In my, okay. in my comedy career so far. But during that one instance of um, being a part of a diversity initiative at Second City, um, it was beautiful. But there were parts of the diversity conversation that they were holding that I didn't necessarily agree with. <laughs> but I'm grateful for it because it actually broadened my horizon and gave me more of an insight into what diversity is and how I want to be involved in it. Cool. So how did you? Okay. So how did you get started in comedy? Because like I said, accidental comedian. Yeah. And <laughs> as far as Amanda's told me, it's like that's pretty much it. That you yeah. sort of became yeah. a comedian almost accidentally. Yeah, I kind of always was a comedian or am a comedian, like making my friends laugh or yeah. commentating on things or just yeah. being a funny person in a group. And I don't mean funny as in look at me, ha ha ha, I'm yeah. cool. No, no that's just my job. yeah, that's what I do. Just like I was always awkward and I was always saying odd things. And so I guess I've been doing comedy my whole life, but I didn't identify it until recently. Mm -hmm. Like you didn't really start to pursue it until like the last year or so? Yeah, yeah. I was doing sketch and improv, I guess, um, around three years ago, within the last three years, on and off. And I was doing it, but I think I was doing it more for approval. Yeah. Because I wanted to do something creative and I didn't know what I was doing yet. 
and my whole life I wasn't allowed to do anything creative. I come from a very um, complicated familial background. Yeah. So I wasn't allowed to pursue anything artistic. Really? And it wasn't until I became an adult and I started to come to terms with who I am that I wanted to explore myself artistically, but I didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And I play music and I love comedy and I also love dance. And so I've dabbled in all three, but I didn't have a definition as to who I was as an artist. Yeah. So I was just trying things. So I was trying improv and sketch, and it was cool, but I think I was doing it more or less for people to be like, oh, wow, cool, you're doing something, and like put a little check mark by my name or validate me through their approval. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I was doing it. Mm-hmm. And while I was doing it, I never felt comfortable. I never felt like, I want to be a sketch artist. I want to be yeah. an improviser. I want to be a comedian that way. It just wasn't my voice. Yeah. And then I've always kind of gravitated towards... Um, stand-up and storytelling and public speaking because you get to be honest. Mm-hmm. And then uh, this year, I just decided... I'm very green to the community. I'm very yeah. new. Uh, but I, I like doing it, and um, I started doing it at the end of June. Right on. Yeah. Okay. Because, like, everything that I know about, like, the inner workings of comedy comes from podcasts like WTF or The Nerdist or... Um, I don't know, other ones, whatever. Um, and also from your perspective. Right. What it is to come up in any comedy scene. Right. Uh, so that's been really helpful to me, even though I haven't really done anything with that information. I just ah. sort of like poured all my jokes and keep everything together. And then if I feel like I want to go do a set, then I'll go to the playground because that's really the only one that I know. Um, but yeah, like your perspective on what comedy is in Toronto has been really interesting to me because... Um, mm. Like I said, like you're what? What is your background? Um, I have kind of a mixed background. I'm East Indian in heritage or descent, I guess you can say. But my family, um, my biological family is from Mauritius. Okay. And uh, Mauritius is a colonized island in the south of the Indian Ocean, and it's predominantly East Indian, Hindustani, and Cantonese. Okay. But everybody speaks French and Creole. Oh, perfect. That, yeah. Good. So good. my family has been from there for around five generations. Sorry, excuse me, maybe uh, three to four generations, okay. pardon me. And then before that, we're from India. But we left India in like the 1800s. Hmm. And I was born in the UK and then raised in oh, Canada. Really? What part of the UK? I was born in London. Oh, right on. Yeah. Okay. Um, hmm. okay, so being a comedian in Toronto now, being a woman in, in comedy, mm-hmm. um, being as like um ethnic or whatever like being, right being different is basically the whole thing it's yeah like you are a fresh face in comedy yeah um what who who have your influences been coming up Ooh, um the toronto comedy scene is so cool and it's yeah. so great and there's so many talented people that have just put in the time and effort and when you see them perform or play you're just like wow it looks effortless mm-hmm. um there's people within the community that i really admire not particularly stand-ups um but sketch and improvisers that i think are just really brilliant talented people mm-hmm. um one of the improvisers that i love is is a duo called the Sufferettes. It's Becky Johnson and Kayla Lorette. Okay. And if anyone ever gets a chance to see them perform, go see them because they're just very talented on it improvisers. And they're so funny and their hmm. timing is impeccable. They're just great. I love them. They just and have a really good chemistry together. Oh, t- totally. Like yeah. And um, I don't know them personally, but I just think that like it's so funny every time I see them perform. I'm just like, wow, that's great. And mm-hmm. it's it's very inspiring. And to see two women up there just killing it is great. And um, 
there yeah and like i guess like in terms of other comedians like i've I had the privilege like through coming through the bob curry fellowship of meeting amazing local artists like hannon Eunice, nilu mm. handa aisha alpha um rocky morazaria carol zalkali um nikasi ogbana and pornell like these are all women that i've got to work with and who mm -hmm. are talented beyond um you know beyond belief so those are like the comedians locally within the scene that um i take a lot of uh cues from yeah and not only within comedy but just like how to be a positive individual yeah like they're super great people to to learn from and um yeah and there's a uh, other comedians like chris Siddiqui, okay. who is amazing chris is a uh he does stand-up sketch improvise um improv comedy he was on the second city main stage oh wow yeah just like a brilliant brilliant comedic mind right. really like him and th there's so many people i am like losing track of people it's okay who it's, I not love. A, it's not an oscar speech you have to thank everybody it's true <laughs> it's true but i think like for stand-ups the two like famous stand-ups that i really gravitate towards i think that everyone gravitates towards is um like louis ck and tignataro oh right on yeah um what do you okay what do you think of like louis whole work ethic thing because like he does he shoots the show he yeah. edits the show yeah he puts out an hour stand-up every year yeah like is that something is that like um it's great. Is that something that you like would want? Like, is that like the like your ultimate goal? Totally, comedy? totally. Like, I don't know if I want to do what Louis does, but I appreciate what Louis does because he makes his own stage. Mm -hmm. No one's going to give him a stage, and that's no. the whole premise of the show that I produce. I produce a monthly show called Boss, mm -hmm. and I. How's it been going? It's been going great. Yeah, it's been going great, and I produce it because no one's going to give me a voice. I'm mm -hmm. new. I'm green. No one's going to give me an opportunity to perform, so I got to make my own way to perform. Yeah. And it's funny, like looking at Louis, like he wanted as Louis, as if I know, I know him personally. That's first name basis. Yeah, no, Louis C.K. <laughs> um, uh, just from what I've read on the internet about, you know, how the show came about through FX, you know, he wanted creative control and a lot of, you know, stations that were vying for his genius, you know, weren't allowing him creative control. And then FX said, I think it was something, and I don't know the story entirely, but they gave him creative control. And as a result, you know, he edits, writes, produces, directs the show. Yeah. And I come from an editing background, a video editing yeah. background, so I can appreciate how taxing that is. Mm -hmm. So to be a writer, a director, an actor, a comedian, an editor, a producer of your own art. Exactly. And he's making his own stage in various forms, whether it's through Louis or his stand-up or even his commentary when he's just doing talk shows. Like... Mm -hmm. He has a great platform and he's done it all on his own back. So whatever that means for anybody else, making your own stage is the best thing you can do, I think. And did with the internet, yeah, fucking do it. Did you have um, anything to say about his SNL monologue? Because I thought it was fucking hilarious. I, I thought he killed. <laughs> it, was, it was like from start to finish. Because it's, it's, he knew the audience that he had going into it. Yeah. And he just decided like, look, this is what I think is funny. Yeah. I've got five minutes here. Like, let me just do this. And like, yeah. let's get on with it. I think that, um, it, to be completely honest, the I don't remember in, entirely his SNL monologue. Um, I remember bits of it. The one that's coming to mind is the Chris Rock monologue. Because when Chris Rock hosted, he also said some things that were considered controversial. Yeah. So for some reason, that's coming in my head right now. But um, that I think that's the th that's the premise of a stand-up. That's the yeah. premise of 
a public speaker, that's the premise of a storyteller, is yes. to bring up these issues or bring up these things that are uncomfortable. The sake that SNL is on NBC, which is a major network, mm -hmm. you know, and they have lobbyists and they have, you know, corporate interests and a lot of money invested into family-based products. And it's, yes. it's, it's based in commercials and advertising. So you can't piss off your advertisers because yeah. then you lose funding. Exactly. So I, I totally understand it from like a business side that people would get offended mm -hmm. or feel uncomfortable. But then from a comedian or artistic side, you're like, yeah, well, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Yeah. And to be fair, I can't really remember what he said. <laughs> he, said he, made, he made some like some pedophilia jokes. He made... Um, Oh right! He made right. some like some light racist jokes. Right, right. Um, but like they were all told in. They they're just jokes. That's the whole thing. That's true. And I know jokes can be powerful things. Yeah. Right. And they can be taken one way or the other. Yeah. But I also think that people need to remember that like these are jokes, and I'm here to entertain you. If you don't like it, that's fine. That's true. Uh, don't to be vilify fair, me for it. It's true. I I mean, there's a fine line between offense and jokes, and so I don't know. I'm trying to. Oh, I wish I knew the monologue in my head so I could like <laughs> so I could like comment on it. One of the jokes that he made was properly um, because I'm just remembering it too. That one of the th one of the jokes that he made was if you're in a convenience store or a gas station or something like that, and like a white dude comes in, you don't even think twice, right? right? But if a black dude comes in, you just look at him and go, everything's fine. Like everything is totally fine. Oh, Nothing's yes! gonna happen. Yes, right? yes, yes, yes. I think he points out the obvious microaggressions that yeah, we're dealing with. Exactly. Yeah, I deal with microaggressions all the time within really? my friend group, within my peer group, within like, you know, just my myself going out trying to change my life at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Microaggressions happen all the fucking time. And like how do they make you feel? Awful. Are they direct they're directed specifically to you? Sometimes. Yeah. And it's so funny because we have a mentality where we think we accept those microaggressions, A, because they're awkward and we laugh. Mm -hmm. So because we laugh, we give it permission to exist. Mm -hmm. The other concept of it is that the person or the author of this microaggression is saying something. And a lot of us, in order to avoid conflict or avoid an uncomfortable conversation or avoid being perceived as sensitive, if you have a problem with it, mm -hmm. we're just like, we give the author of that microaggression permission to be like, oh, that's just them. Yeah. Oh, we have to accept them. It's like, no, like, do you think people look at Hitler and they're like, oh, that's just, that's Hitler. just Hitler. Oh, Adolf. Oh, Adolf, <laughs> like that's just him. Oh, you're just getting up to your old tricks again. Yeah, no, and like, I'm, again, I'm not trying to compare the plight of what he, the <laughs> genocide Hitler. and the horrible, yeah. horrible existence of Hitler and what he did to the Jewish yeah. population of Europe and yeah. around the world. I'm not trying to <laughs> condone or m minimize. I don't, I don't think you are. I don't yeah, think you are. <laughs> but it's just, it's so funny how like when microaggressions happen, and I say micro because... A, a lot of people are like, oh, it's nothing. It's just yeah. a joke. Relax. But sometimes they they live off of stereotypes and they live off of something that is innately offensive. Mm -hmm. And if it's still sticking with me or other people like days or months after it's happened, it's not micro. No. It's a real thing. And that's why, you know, we don't, we need to address it, but we don't. And it, as, you know, it's, it's done. Something as like, you know, oh, there can't, like with Aziz Ansari's new show, Master of None. Which is fantastic. Which is amazing. It's so funny. You know, he touches on diversity, which has been the fucking backbone of my story within the last year. Mm -hmm. And he's touches on the fact that there can't be two Indian people in a show because it would be an Indian show, which is so true. Mm -hmm. 
when it, yeah, when it comes, yeah, when it comes, if you're looking at it from the perspective of like um, producers and executives, right, when they're looking right. at casting a show and they say, oh, there's two Indian people in this, we can't do that, it'll become an Indian show, which right? is so dumb because no one's saying there's this is a white. No, show. exactly. Nobody said nobody's saying that. Like, like if you if you did that, there, yeah. nobody's nobody's come out and said like, oh, that's the Indian show. And the it's brilliant just a show. Yeah, and the brilliant thing about Master of None is it's a predominant, like there are significant Indian characters between mm. Anoush, between um, Ravi, between Dev and his parents. So there are South Asian characters in there, but no one is looking at Master of None saying, that's an Indian it's show. It's an Indian show. It's just a no, show. No, everybody would see it as that's Aziz's show. It's just Aziz and Sari's show. Like he's defined by his culture of his social culture that he mm-hmm. that he pronounces, which is like, you know, being hip and young and cool and being on your iPhone and using apps and going out to dinner. Like that's the culture that he's created that he identifies with, not his skin color. Mm-hmm. He'll tack on his skin color and his Yeah, ethnicity. he'll tackle it in a little in, in a way throughout an entire episode, but like you're yeah. nev- you're not actually you're not like, oh, okay, this is the Indian play Exactly, now. like, this yeah. This is the Indian episode. Like, yeah. no, it's just, this is... A perspective. What, this is a perspective of what... He, this is the other side. This yeah. is what This is what he sees. Or, yeah, totally. Like, it's... Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that's taken... Um, it... I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say, but, like, it's... He's basically taken the idea of, like, look, networks are still kind of racist. Like yeah, it, totally. that's what it is. Yeah. Right. And I have an opportunity now to tell that side of the story. Yeah. And now everybody is seeing the other side of the mirror. Oh, within the fashion world, whenever I look at a magazine, there's never someone that really truly looks like me on the cover. No. There are a lot of beautiful um, models of varying African descent that um, with the darker complexions that do make it on the magazines, um, which is amazing. And it's like creating a new voice in fashion. But a lot of the times, even coming from a South Asian background, it's like people who are darker don't get represented. It's mm-hmm. more light-skinned or fair-skinned people that get represented or get covers or mm-hmm. get um, uh, kind of regards, I should say, mm-hmm. in media. And so that kind of microaggression within a visible minority group exists. Yeah, You know, the whole uh, concept of dark is bad, light is better. And... And, you know, everyone has their struggle, you know, uh, light skinned or fair skinned individuals, even, you know, medium complexion or darker complexions. Like we all have our varying forms of discrimination or microaggressions we receive within our culture and outside of our culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no. You did a show in where was it? It had like the best comedy troupe name that I had ever heard. And because Amanda just showed me the text that Trevor had. Because uh, you had sent Trevor text and then Trevor had sent Amanda a text. Oh, no. And the comedy troupe was Fade to Brown. <laughs> no you did that show but like how did that like because you were just sort of like lumped in right like i was yeah my friend amish patel who goes under the uh, comedic name online uh fade to brown um he's amazing uh check out his show comedy kapow at 120 diner and check out amish online amish patel um he uh it was funny. We did a show in Brampton at the Rolls Hill Theater, and it was a variety show, comedy yeah. variety show, and um, it was celebrating kind of the, you know, the South Asian diaspora of the community there. And so I did an improv set with my friend Nilu, um, Nick Reynoldson, who's a stand-up, was hosting. Amish mm. did stand-up. It was great. We're all South Asian or have South Asian descent in some form. And uh, I read the blurb of the event and it said fade to brown. And I was like, what? And I didn't know at the time that Amish was called that. 
Really? Yeah. And I didn't know. And I had a problem with like being labeled as a brown performer. Yeah. And I didn't like it. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and um, it's no disrespect to anybody who chooses to identify as South Asian or choose to identify by their heritage or culture. But for me, my issue was see me as a performer. Yeah. See me as a woman. See me as a human being first. But I realized that people were seeing me as a minority first. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, you're brown. Yeah. Oh, you're Indian. Oh, you're South Asian. Oh, you're a woman. Oh, then you're an artist. But whenever yeah. it's somebody who, stereotypically, I should say, no one is looking at the majority of artists out there and, and saying and identifying them by their heritage or their skin color. They identify them by their artistic integrity. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why can't I be identified by my artistic integrity? Why am I identified by A, my gender, or my skin color? Yeah. So with with your with your act now, mm -hmm. um, like, are, what kind of topics are you tackling? Are you really ta like tackling topics? Or are you just doing like what you think is funny and just like? I just talk about my problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it. Like. That's it. I talk about um, my issues. I talk about. I don't within my comedy. I don't address race um, because I don't identify by that. I don't mm -hmm. identify by ethnicity. I identify by the upbringing that I went through. Mm -hmm. So I come from an abusive family history mm -hmm. and that's where a lot of my comedy comes from. It's like therapy for me. Yeah. I work it out with an audience. That's, that's a big thing that I think comedy is for people is the fact that it is, it is therapy. Yeah, totally. Right. Whether it be enjoying someone else's comedy or creating your own comedy. Yeah. Uh, I think that it is, it's a really healthy thing to help you work through whatever issues or problems that you're having. Like for me, comedy helps me deal with um, depression. Right. Right. Because I because I work alone and because of the places that I do work. Right. Um, it gets taxing, like extremely like mentally taxing on me. Oh, and right? emotionally, too. Exactly. If you're right? alone so, and you're isolated completely. Exactly. So yeah. with the podcast that I listen to, um, it's some of the best therapy that I get because it's just it's a very simple laugh. Yeah. That's all it is. And the fact that you then get your own inspiration from the from different comedians and then you can start writing your own stuff. That let, that gives you an outlet, yeah, right? Totally. So I think um, that people should be seeking out comedy on like a regular basis because it is easily one of the best therapies that you can have. Yeah, and also it's just like, it's, you know, I don't identify just by being a comedian. I'm a performer, mm -hmm. like, and so you know, for me that that's where a lot of my comedy comes from is coming to terms with the abuse, coming to terms with emotional trauma, coming to terms with um, being different and, you know, giving myself permission to be like, hey, I come from a very messed up place. Can I just mm -hmm. talk about that for a second? Because yeah. the majority of the world comes from a messed up place, but yeah. we view it as taboo. We don't view it as normal. No, exactly. You and know, that's, we that's a that's a huge problem because, yeah, like a lot of people do come from um, like almost explosive backgrounds that they just they don't know how to exactly how to process and we as a society we kind of venerate or put on or idealize the wrong traits in people mm -hmm. like we will idolize success overnight success stories we idolize um vain superficial surface beauty we mm -hmm. idolize um money we idolize reality tv stars we don't idolize people that have worked for it people that work for it or people that are struggling struggle yeah. is a huge thing or people that have gone through emotional physical mental 
you know, abuse. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't honor those people and be like, you know what, that's a real thing. And the majority of the world experiences violence in some form or shape, whether it comes from the family home, from a partner, within the job, bullying, mm -hmm. you know. And these are the things that we should be highlighting because it's so normal, but we treat it as such taboo. Yeah. And then I guess when I get up and I do stand up, I'm not by any means an ambassador. I don't even know if I have my shit together. Yeah. I don't know. I'm still figuring this shit out. Yeah. I'm not saying I have answers. I don't. I'm just getting up and talking about my experience. Yeah, so and what you know and... Yeah. And, yeah, and making light of what you can and hopefully helping somebody else in the audience. Like, um, like if you if you make a joke about, like, your fam like your abusive family or something like that and yeah. you get a good laugh from it, do you feel as though, like, you're... Like, you must, be, you must feel, like, as though you're connecting immediately with certain individuals in the audience, right? Like, if you're yeah. getting, like, a louder laugh from somebody. Sometimes like, I get, like... I just get a lot of, ooh. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I'll open up and I'll say this stuff and a lot of people are like, good luck with all of that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, that, <laughs> like, that's the look that I get from a lot of audience members because my comedy isn't jokey. My yeah. comedy isn't, like, I don't have punchlines. I don't have, like, jokes. Mm -hmm. I just kind of have, like, oh, my God, this is fucked up. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. I had I had one bit where I was talking about how I use Amanda for a lot of my comedy because ah! she, gener she generates so much, <laughs> and most of it is absolutely gold. And she's hilarious. She's so funny. She's so funny. She's not the greatest at telling stories, <laughs> but every once in a while she'll I say something. I miss Amanda. She's, she's spectacular but she yeah. was saying the other day we were talking about um different celebrities and the different level of celebrity and she said um yeah you know like when you're talking about like a suedo celebrity and i was like oh my god you've never heard that word out loud before have you and she's like what i'm like it's pseudo and she's like no you're right it is it oh. is you said it i knew that's the way it was supposed to be pronounced so, and she generates a lot of comedy for me. Like, there was uh, a time when she was walking back to her uh, apartment, um, Queen West. Right. right? Uh, and she felt as though she was being followed. <gasps> right? So, oh no. whoa. Right? Yeah, that's scary. Um, so, she said that she would, had been walking around the block, uh, crossing streets, and this guy was still following her. Now, terrifying as that is. Yeah here's the part where I come in. Right. She had my number up on her phone. Right. I don't know what I'm supposed to do if something happens. Right. So she had my number up, and so something's about to happen. Da -da -da, call Mike. Hello? Hi. Yeah, something horrible is about to happen. You need to call the police. I don't know where the fuck you are. Right. right. So my whole idea on that was I didn't deliver that very well. As funny, it was more like something terrible is about to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so... She, yeah, so I thought that just, like, it was insane to me that she had my number up on her phone. Right. Right, in case anything horrible happened. Mm -hmm. Where I said, you know, like, no, you need to call the police. They, it's literally in their name. They're to protect, they're to protect and serve you. So, Evidently. Her, exactly, right? So yeah. she, she gives me a lot of material, a lot of material. And I try to pick and choose what I what like which what stuff I use and what stuff like I just like ah you know what no let's just keep that between us like right um like where do where do you like so your material comes from your family and yeah. all of your different uh, if you said your problems yeah um hmm. where else does it come from yes That's um where I was going. Also, my relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I have um, my boyfriend, actually. Like, a lot like a lot of the experiences that I have with him 
because we're both learning. Mm-hmm. Like you learn about each other, you learn about new dynamics, you learn about like every relationship you you go in, you learn about relationships even more. And so I learn a lot of my learnings. I learn a lot of my learnings. <laughs> I take a lot of my learnings from our dynamic, mm-hmm. and I use that in my comedy because sometimes the shit's just funny. Yeah, exactly. yeah, it's just so silly, like the sh- stuff that we get into, or like the stuff that I'll take offense to from him, or the stuff that I think is super hilarious, and he's yeah. like, "No, don't say that." <laughs> <laughs> my uh, I, my ex girlfriend, every single time that I thought I had something really funny, yeah. she would always tell me like, "Oh no, you can't say that." Right. You can't say that. Like, right. don't say that. Don't say that. Right. But it was like, why not? Like, why am I not allowed to say this? And it just got more and more frustrating. Anyway, that's done. Um, <laughs> you also do sketch comedy, yeah? No, not anymore. Really? Yeah, I used to do sketch at Second City. Um, I don't. I kind of stay away from sketch and improv. Um, just at the moment, I just don't feel like it's my voice. Mm-hmm. So within stand up, I'm kind of focusing on storytelling and stand up, mm-hmm. and then. Um, apart from that, focusing on dance and music, that's my other kind of outlet. Yeah. Okay. So Mm -hmm. do you have, do you like, have you watched any of with Bob and David yet? No. Really? It's so funny. Um, my boyfriend a couple weeks ago was showing it to me and I couldn't get into it. Really? But having said that, it was like two in the morning and I was super tired. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's fair. When I thought, saw it was like Bob Odenkirk and, and you know, because they basically brought back Mr. Show and that's the whole thing. That's true. That's true. But I, I didn't even watch Mr. Show either. Really? Yeah. So I, it was all very new to me, but like I I was looking at the screen being like, these are two fucking hilarious people. Yeah, exactly. And I need to be into it. Like we, I need to see these two people together. They're they're really good. Their dynamic is really good. That's awesome. Um, it's it's four episodes. Yeah. Right? So it's it's a two hour watch. Amazing. Right. It's really 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 fucking funny. That's good. I will watch it. I will devote time to it. I haven't, so I don't even have an opinion about it, which sucks. Uh, SNL. Do you have anything about that? Yeah. Uh, SNL is um. I miss old SNL. Like that's SNL. what everybody says, right? Like they always say, like, "Oh, this year's cast isn't as good as the cast of like six years ago." I hate that shit when people like put down the cast because I'm like, "Do you know how fucking oh, hard yeah. it is?" See, that's the thing to make it to SNL. Do you know how hard it is to do improv and sketch? It is so hard. I to be a good improviser, to be a good sketch comedian, to be a good comedy writer is mm-hmm. so difficult. And people always say, "Ah, the cast, ah, it sucks." I'm like, do. I'm like, okay, well, you go fucking do it. Exactly. You get up there and try and make an SNL. Now, you've heard about the audition processes, right? True. Yeah, I have. Okay, where yeah. they do, first you'll do something, say, at like the Comedy Cellar or at um, Laugh Factory or something like that. Right. And then Lauren will come by. Right. He'll see your set and then right. he'll fucking bail. Right. And then he'll call you and say, okay, come to New York or right. like come come to come to the studio. Right. And do your audition. Uh-huh. And then you think that, okay, I thought my set was my audition. When it's not, yeah. now you have to go to the studio. Right. And the studio is you stand on the marker yeah. where the host does the monologue. Wow, like, you know a lot about this I have audition to process. So many podcasts. <laughs> I I have is, zero I clue about how Lauren like, Michaels I don't <laughs> the thing that's crazy is like I don't really watch SNL. Right. Right? But I know so much about it. And Lauren Michaels is one of the most brilliant, crazy people on the planet. Right. Without a doubt. Right. So what happens is at your audition, you basically stand in the studio on Uh the host's um, marker and you do your, you have to do, like you can make like, you can do five minutes, you can do seven minutes, but like you try to keep it really tight. Right. 
and then you do your characters and your impressions, right? Whatever. You, whatever, whatever, they you feel, yeah, whatever you feel that they need. Your ammo. Exactly. But yeah. you're doing it to a completely empty room. Yeah, or I, I, I heard something that you're doing it to maybe a panel of five or six people and they on purpose don't laugh. Yes. And I was like, whoa, that's tough. Exactly. Because then you just have the feeling of bombing. Yeah. And but, that's the thing. It's because you're playing to a live audience. But that's what audience. I'm saying. I'm yeah. like, why criticize this cast? Do you know how hard it is to get exactly. to that point? Exactly. And like, you know, if people aren't relating to it, then maybe that's just zeitgeist kind of bullshit. Or maybe people, maybe, I don't know, it's ebb and flow. Maybe it's just not on its game right now. But that doesn't mean that SNL sucks. Exactly. Like, I, I love SNL. Like, a lot of the former cast members have said, like, you know, like, it's a really great show and I'm so happy that I was a part of it. But, you know, every once in a while, they have you have to have this host on or you have to have that host on. And it's just a way for them to plug their shit in a different way. Yeah, right? totally. And maybe it brings a different energy to exactly. the cast. I exactly. don't know. It, it, I think it'd be cool to be part of a, a cast like SNL, you know. And it just has, it's such a historic institution, kind of like mm -hmm. Second City or UCB or, you know, stuff like that. But like, I don't know, just, a, you know, it's 2015. It's going to be 2016 in like, what, 30 days? Yeah, exactly. So, I, I don't know. Art is changing. That sounds yeah, such like a, the so douchiest statement too. that I could ever make. But it's okay. It's okay. It still counts. Yeah. But like, you know, with the internet and with everything, everything's changing so quickly. Mm -hmm. So you don't necessarily have to do these old institutions. You can make comedy up in your own way or art in your own way mm -hmm. and make your own, i.e. Louis. Yeah, exactly. So, so have you thought about like doing... Uh, is it like you're just focused on stand-up right now, basically? Dance and music? Yeah. Like that's yeah. it? Like you're not really thinking about like maybe you want to do like a web series or... Not yet. I'm no. still figuring out what my voice is. Mm -hmm. I'm still figuring out what I'm trying to say. Like I'm coming to terms, I guess, with who I am as a person and what I've gone through. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say with that. And the good thing is, is I don't feel like I have a deadline sometimes. Like that I, must I, be so nice. I know, but sometimes <laughs> I have that demon where yeah. I'm like, "Get your shit together, woman!" You like you're in your thirties, <laughs> uh, you know. But yeah. the other times I'm just like, "No, it's it's okay to to be slow and to figure it out." Yeah, exactly. And like do things at your own pace. Yeah, but then I'll have a bad day and I'll be like, "Oh my god, my life is over. What am I doing?" Yeah, you know, it's fine. It's ebb and flow kind of shit. But right now I'm kind of I'm content with exploring the things that I love, and if mm -hmm. that means storytelling and stand up. And if that means dance at the moment and, and music, then that's what it is for me. And then I'll figure out my voice from there. And if people have a problem with it or they don't understand it, that's fine because I don't really understand it either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, I think the important thing is the fact that like when you're trying to find your voice, like, yeah. I have no idea what the fuck my voice is. Like, I'm not even as close to right. where you are with yours. Right. right? Um, but I think that when you're trying to find your voice and, and you may you know, work things out on stage. Like, do you do that a lot? Like, do you take new material and then yeah. just, like, just workshop the shit out of it? And yeah. then you could get, to, like, two months down the road and just realize, like, oh, my God, this was a total waste of fucking time. Oh, yeah. Like, I've been, you know, like, my set was mainly about my family and about my relationship uh, with my boyfriend. And then it's been killing for a couple months. Killing. It's been doing well <laughs> for a couple months. I want to sound like a fucking egotistical <laughs> douchebag. <laughs> Granted, some nights it killed. Yeah, some nights exactly. it killed super hard. Um, but then I remember doing it to a room, a room of predominantly uh, men. Yeah. And I bombed so hard. Really? And not because... How did that feel going out on stage like that? I mean, I know like the lights you can... It's hard to see, but I mean... Oh, like, in this place, I saw the crowd. Oh, really? I was like, oh, you suck. Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. And I remember like... 
they weren't laughing at my jokes, so I kept being more physical with my arms. And usually yeah. I'm pretty like static. I just yeah. deliver my shit and I'm like, this is it. Well, the first time I did a set, um, I didn't move the mic stand. Right. Like I took, I just basically, I took the mic off the mic stand and then just stepped slightly to the left of it. Right. And the second time I went back, I was like, no, this time, like, you got to fucking take the mic. Yeah. Move the mic stand. And then yeah. when you're finishing, bring that shit back. And I was more concerned about that, that than you... I was about my jokes. Right. right? So it's like. The etiquette. Yeah. So like, move the mic stand. Fucking move the mic stand, guys. Right. Every week we're getting more professional. And then after that. Yeah. Fucking nothing. I get it. Right. So, yeah, like when you walk out. When, when you walk out into a crowd like that, mm-hmm. like, what is the first thing that goes to your head? Is it just like, look, they're here for a reason to laugh or are you like immediately well, against them or? No, no, no. I'm never against them. Like, I'm trying, like, they came out of their way to hear comedy and mm-hmm. they came out of the way to hear me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's kind of like a give and take. Like, you came here to hear something. Mm-hmm. I'm here to tell you something. And that's the contract that we have. You yeah. may not like what I have to say. And I might not like how you react to what I have to say. Yeah. Usually when they laugh, I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, there's no, I don't think there is actually a better feeling than just like walking into a room of strangers yeah. and then saying something that gets a reaction. Yeah. And is the reaction exactly what you want. But like bombing is kind of cool because. Oh yeah. Like if you go down, you want to go down. Yeah, I guess so. But not even that. It was like, I was saying these jokes to these guys and. They didn't laugh. Nothing. And they looked at me with kind of pity. Really? Yeah. Or I guess maybe that's the insecurity I was projecting onto them. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's what I read from them. Mm -hmm. But because they weren't reacting the way I thought they would react, like other crowds did. But they didn't react. And I was like kind of moving my hands and gesturing a lot in order to like compensate for the fact that they weren't laughing. Mm -hmm. I'm like, come on, guys, laugh. (laughs) And um, yeah, and they didn't get my comedy. They didn't get my background. They didn't they didn't really understand me. Mm -hmm. But I kind of came away with it being like, okay, you're not my people. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you are people, and I have to learn how to communicate with people that don't have my identity. Now, do you have? Do you ever sit down and like say watch like a comedy special? Yeah. Um, and then. You're not really laughing at it. You're more just like listening to what's happening. You're sort of studying what's going on. Yeah, I, I, I guess, yeah, with everything. But then you tell people like, no, you have to watch this. It's fucking hilarious. But you yeah. never laughed once. Yeah, that happens. Right? That like, happens for sure. Like, do you think that maybe there might be one of those people in those kinds of audiences? Oh, yeah, totally. like, no, you have to see this chick. She's fucking incredible. Well, it's funny because afterwards people came up to me and they're like, great job. And I was yeah. like, what? Were you there? Because I was and it was fucking terrible. <laughs> That's exactly what happened to me. But then again, like at the playground, it's a very supportive room and there's like six people. So, I mean, if you get one of those six people to say like, hey man, good job. It's like, what the fuck? What? No, no fucking way. But I think people also appreciate the ability to get up and speak to a room of people and be vulnerable. Yeah, that's true. They appreciate the vulnerability of it. That's true. So maybe that's it. That's the thing. Like I've never actually seen it as like, I've never felt vulnerable going up. Right. right. You just you get up and you're just like, fuck, you just shake the whole time, right? The first time you do it, you don't know what the fuck to expect. Right. Right. So when I got up, like, yeah, my fucking knee was going crazy. It right. It's like, no, you don't need to be here. Yeah. But yeah. in my mind, it's like, no, this is something that you want to do. Like, uh-huh. why the fuck wouldn't you? Like, you got this far. Like, why would you just get up and go, hi, and then fucking bail? Yeah. Right. Like, you yeah. say what you have to say. Yeah. Right. Totally. Do, like, try, like, just try to be funny. You know you're funny. Yeah. Just fucking do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I don't know. What, um... It's a good conversation. It's not bad. 
It's a good. It's pretty good for winging it. Yeah, eh? yeah. It's not bad. Um, I'm trying to figure out what else there is. Um, duh, 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 duh. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like that was a lot. Like it yeah. covered a lot of deep stuff. It like did. it's not like quantity; it's quality. Exactly. Yeah. So you know what? We've done about 41 minutes i think that's a pretty stellar place to end it yeah that's awesome thank you so much for doing it oh thank you it's awesome okay guys i'm mike henry this is pretty hi and then we are fucking done we're done we will see you well i'll see you pretty might do it again but we'll see (laughs) (laughs) it depends on how busy she is anyway guys thank you very much for listening bye see ya all these walls were never really there nor the ceiling or the chair I'm eking weeks of peace on a beach I see the breezes weave the trees These walls you'll find are yours in mine Find not by them I I'm in times that lie behind my eyelids The sunset still the rising silence light on me, throw a stone as hard you can, and hearing with hand, not hear it land, nothing taxing, dusting sand, my window and world spins and swirls, the walls then fall, I recall the saw, white clouds whitewash, faded spotless, the weighty shadows, ranges of rocks, the cold is all illusion thought up, a stroll on shore, snooze and explore all possibilities in each new morning till satisfied reaching out and yawning fish in a big dish rice and spice salt over shoulder never salt is so tight the truth i've told was silence sometimes but whose soul does not hide any crimes wrapped in walls encircled by work the walls fall this story occurs no barrier no boundary all hours I please The freedom to stay or stray Be fiend or friend Cause no harm but charm The peaceful end Today, I'm swimming in the ocean, I sink slow motion, fingers, toes floating, every year till yesterday, the sea in the eternal setting sea, I compare all this to me, little fleeting momentary me, I blink my eyes, this is reminding me, life flies in the blink of an eye, the old die for reasons. New tides, forward seasons New life born is like sneezing All these walls were really never there Nor the ceiling or the chair I'm eking weeks at peace on a beach I see the breezes, weave the trees 
I'm not here at all, you're dearly fooled I see bushing and trees, the shush of the sea The mischievous, fluttering seagulls No, I'm not trapped in a box, I'm glancing at rocks I'm dancing off docks since this dance began